and welcome to the Feedback Force podcast, the game design analysis podcast of the End Defender community. Uh, it's cold, it's raining, and I'm Kelso. I'm Kyla. Not raining, but I'm Carl. I don't know yeah, if it's I... raining here because my uh, blinds are closed, but it's it's Seattle, so I assume it's raining. Uh, it's It's been raining, like, since, I don't know, since the middle of the night. It woke me up. And it's been so comfy and so cold, and I'm just really, really feeling the weather today. Nice. You're one of those likes the dark people. <laughs> and before, before we, uh, when we were doing pre-episode housekeeping, I was talking about how um, it's sad that it's almost the winter solstice because that means that uh, that the days are going to start getting longer, which. Um, I feel like Thank I shouldn't goodness. even say that. I know. I feel like I shouldn't even say that. I'm like, oh, I don't want the sun when when Kyla is out there suffering. <laughs> no, it's to each their own. Everybody, when, everybody when, enjoys when, different. When both of you are out there suffering in your in your <laughs> much more northern um, latitudes than I am, but yeah, that's, that's true. Fair. I am very far north. The problem with Seattle isn't even like how dark early it gets or you know how how dark it is in the morning um because it is those things but it wouldn't be nearly so bad if it wasn't always overcast constantly overcast so, yep <laughs> yeah you don't get the benefit of the sun early in the morning because the like the little tiny bit of light that you get early in the day is not enough to overcome the overcast sky. So it just feels like it's night that much longer. Nice. Or the sun is setting that much earlier. Yeah, it's not fun. Anyway, Kelso, you have the biggest news for the week. <laughs> Tell us your big news. Yeah, I guess I do have the big news. Um, yeah, we, um, we, we closed on our house. I, yeah, we're homeowner, baby. homeowners now somehow like i can't it let you do that i know i can't believe it like i'm still sort of in disbelief uh that i we just got this whole ass building that we can do whatever we want to yeah um, you could install a secret I bookshelf door if you wanted you have you know the power it's to like i that. i just i can't believe we've gotten away with this <laughs> um <laughs> like it just seems like this shouldn't be we shouldn't be allowed to do this um because we're so dumb and irresponsible uh it's like i was saying on twitter a while ago like i, I had energy drinks for breakfast multiple times last week um right now instead of drinking water i am drinking i have two separate teas i have hot tea and i have cold tea I'm a fucking madman. And when <laughs> when will I be stopped? <laughs> On um, the other hand, you also got very excited about a mop purchase. So you're pretty adult. I get really in my excited book. about the mop. Yeah. Yeah, I got excited about the mop and about buying new toilet seats because like I I don't know what kind of butts were on the toilet seats that existed <laughs> in the house. So, yep. you know. They could have been so, real nasty butts. You don't want those butts in indirect contact with your butts. You don't know. Exactly. Yeah, like yesterday I was, like I had the mop and I didn't have a lot, like we were at the house yesterday. Uh, we had the internet installed and Ev was doing like network stuff. 
and I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'll just mop. And I mopped a bunch. And it, it, like, I was just looking for things to mop. I almost mopped out the garage, but then we're, I think we're going to pressure wash the garage. But yeah, it's just like, well, I can, I can clean whatever I want. And it's going to be great. I don't, yeah, I don't know what kind of a person I'm becoming. Do you have enough space to have a garden? Do you get to plant fun herbs and things? Yeah. Yeah, we Yay. do. I don't know. Um, like, because, because it's winter now, I don't know what kind of sunlight we're going to get back there. Um, so I'm going to have to wait until, you know, until it's spring and summer to see like where I'm actually going to be able to plant stuff. But yeah, we've got a yard. Yeah. Uh, like we get to have a grill. Which is great. I haven't, you know, have never owned a grill in my adult life because I've always lived in apartments. Um, <laughs> and you're not not really supposed to grill um, yep. in apartments. Even if you have, like, a balcony or whatever, they generally frown upon lighting fires. Yeah, so, we have, like, a tiny patio yard space type thing in our apartment building, but they, they frown on grilling, so... We would not do a grill. But congratulations. That's like a super cool thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I said, I can't I can't fucking believe that this has happened when even just a few years ago I was like, I'm never gonna buy a house. No way. I can't believe <laughs> so, you've done this. Can't believe I've done this. It's true. About time to get a second one. No. <laughs> I uh I I especially now that we've like been uh involved in the real estate market and uh, knowing how much of a pain in the ass it is to like find a house and then not get outbid because we've got outbid on the first house that we put an offer in on and it's like mm. man property investors uh like people who buy houses to flip them uh landlords uh they they can all just eat my Fuck ass right off <laughs> Yeah, they can all just eat my ass and fuck right off. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm at on that. I we will not be buying a second house. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so I've got some, I've got some stuff to talk about. None of it's as big news as that. Um, but I did after a nano and a half finally finish the second draft of my novel. Oh, um, nice. It came. It clocked in at uh, ninety-two thousand one hundred and five words, which is a decent length for a fantasy novel. Which I think averaged like eighty thousand to one hundred and twenty thousand. Um, so on the shorter end of it, but still, still respectable. Um, and yeah, finally got that done. Uh, also in uh, media media consumption news. Uh, two things. One, my books finally came in that I was super excited about. It is the first volume of each of the three works by the author who wrote the, the original novel that The Untamed is based on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Chinese Netflix drama that, uh, I mean, it's not by Netflix. It's by Tencent, I think. But, um, that, uh. Yeah, that I got like super obsessed with. So the the author has three works, all of which have been adapted in one form or, or another. But they now officially have like English tra professional English translations. 
that are coming out. And the first volume of each one came out, and now I have them, and I'm so excited, and I'm, like, already, <laughs> like, three-fourths of the way through the uh, the first one. So, I got them, like, three days ago. That's cool. Yeah, I I wish, like, knowing about books that are not in English that I know about that I still want to read is so upsetting, because it's like, why can't I just learn every language so that I can read <laughs> all of the books? Um, but that's really cool that they actually got, like you know, officially, I almost said localized, officially translated. Yeah. It, it does um, in some ways, like, I don't know, it's a little weird because a lot of, they throw in a lot of terms that are like anime terms um, because, like, there's no good direct English translation, but I guess they assume that the term is widely enough known from anime fandom that it, you know, is a better translation than the whatever the original Chinese word was. Uh, the one I remember offhand is they used tsundere um, huh. to describe a character. And I'm like, did the original Chinese novel use tsundere? Or was that... Like, is... like Because I guess they do use loanwords sometimes, like, from... Because there's a lot of fandom references in this. This one is, I think oh. I've actually talked about it on the podcast before, but it's a scum villain self-saving system which is where the guy gets it's one of those, like, guy gets pulled into a fictional world stories but the premise is that, like, he gets pulled into a novel he hates and into the role of the villain. Yeah, you have mentioned that one. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it's very funny, but he's, like, he's kind of, like, a big nerd, so he's using all these, like, fandom terms to describe uh different aspects of the novel so okay that makes sense then like i don't know it would be weird if like i don't know i'm trying i'm trying to like if you had a i don't know like a translation of like some you know hardcore uh like russian nihilist literature and they just use the word sundari in it for no reason um <laughs> yeah. but that makes sense in terms of like context um yeah yeah um, so those have been fun. Uh, I'm enjoying the heck out of Scumvillain. It's very funny. Uh, and then yesterday I also went to see Encanto, the new Disney movie, uh, which I highly recommend. I had a gr I had a great time. It's been so long since I've like, like, did you like go to theater see a movie? Yes, I went to a Whoa. theater with the with a mask and got you know vaccine carded at the door. Um, and took took the mask off to eat popcorn and then put it back on. Uh, but it's it like I don't know. Matinees in our area tend to be fairly empty because not that many people are going to theaters again yet. So it didn't feel like risky or anything. But it's a it's a fun movie, and I am flabbergasted that the internet has not exploded over the character of Louisa who is, like, the big strong girl. And I was like, how is, like, every other Twitter post not about, like, getting stepped on right now? Because <laughs> she is, she is I, so like, big and is, strong. This is a movie that... I feel like this has just been what's happening with Disney lately, is they just keep releasing these movies, and they don't market them, and nobody knows about them. Like, there's this, there's... Soul, there's, uh, I mean, I guess people know about Raya and the Last Dragon because of bad press. Um, there is, like, Luca. I just feel like they're really just dumping all these movies on us and not 
Yeah. Really. Uh, all of the ones know, with them. All of the ones with cultural specificity that are actually about like non-white people. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's a little. It's definitely a little sus. A little sussy. Um. But uh, yeah. But yes, I the music is like really fun, and it's you know it's kind of a big like fun animation and spectacle there's some really like great characters and and fun moments and yeah i enjoyed the heck out of it and i recommend it that's my two cents and also like i can't wait for the full version of louise's song with like the anim accompanying animation to be released because her song is fantastic i gotta look up i gotta look up what how how big and strong? Oh, she's very big and strong. Yes, oh, boy, she oh boy. is. I mean, Ooh. listen, she's no seven foot tall vampire mommy, but she is she is strong. Yeah, Zooey Mama. This is like this is a real strong lady. Seven, however eight eight, however tall vampire mommy was doesn't count because that's like uh, bad. Not magic, but bad uh, genetic experiments, or whatever, whatever the fuck is going on um, with Resident Evil these days. But like, this is a real, real homegrown strong lady. Yeah, she and I, I mean, she is that. she is magically strong oh. because the premise of the uh, the premise of the story is that um, it's like this big extended family, and everyone in it has a magic power except for the main character. So it's magically strong, but yeah. So she's I magically mean, she's strong, still... but the 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 powers are sort of implied to be like whatever, like you were you know interested in when you were like growing up, kind of becomes your magic power or something like that, uh, or is more likely to be your magic power. So the idea I think was that she was always going to be strong, but now she is strong enough to like literally like lift up the town church and move it over a few feet. Yeah, I like this because um, we need we need more big strong ladies who are not just like oh big booba, but also strong. Yeah, like, yeah. This is big arms lady. I'm thinking like also I don't know Urbosa. Urbosa is a big strong lady. Yeah, with big strong arms. Yep. God, I I love, I love Urbosa. Urbosa's <laughs> pretty rad. <laughs> Urbosa's pretty rad, and uh, someone. <laughs> Recently, I was watching a, a YouTube video where they were doing a, a himbo tier list, and they put uh, Princess Scorpia from She-Ra at the top of the, an S tier as an S tier himbo. And I'm like, yeah, that tracks. Like, she's, yes, she's not technically a guy, but she is absolutely a himbo. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of himbo is in the soul or the heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, or the I'm yeah yeah. Scorpia in our Discord chat for anyone who has not seen Scorpia, but she has claw great. arms. She has yeah she has big claw arms and big big buff upper arms and she's just she's just real rad. Like me a buff lady. <sighs> she's also I the the thing is like, Luisa is very strong, but Luisa is not a himbo. Luisa is just a very strong lady with uh some. Some emotional problems because uh, she she takes on too too much work and has some self esteem issues. Um, but 
uh, Princess Scorpia is like definitionally himbo. She's like super big and strong and very dumb and loves everyone. <laughs> She's just like very sweet. Yeah. The more the more I think about like you know definitionally what is a himbo, I think about like. High school, okay, there are some jocks that are shitty and they suck and they suck. But then there are some jocks who are, like, cool and not shitty. In my experience, the cool jocks were also the jocks that, like, smoked a little too much weed. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I think about when I think, I think about I think, the himbo. I think the platonic ideal of the himbo is Kronk from The Emperor's New Group. Yeah. So the degree to which you the degree to which you match Kronk from the Emperor's New Groove. But anyway, my point is Louisa is fantastic, and if you go to my Twitter, uh, you can see the clip that uh, the Disney has posted of the beginning part of her song, where you can watch her just like utterly annihilate boulders by like hip shaking them by like hip checking them. Which is like, I'm like, how is the internet not falling over themselves over how sexy that is? Pretty good. I, I, I predict that in 10 years, Louisa is going to be like top of the list for people's like, what was the fictional character that made you realize you were a lesbian <laughs> for a lot of people? Yeah. <laughs> I do love just, you know, that whole, that whole genre of post, I guess. Yeah. Um, for lack of a better way to describe it, it's good to sort of trace your lineage, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my that's my general uh, plug for Encanto in general and Luisa in particular. Anyway, Carl, how are you? I'm good. I've not been doing much. I've been just playing games. Been playing. Um. I played the Tales from Optic City. Oh yeah. That was interesting. Um then I played Inscription and I finished like the day after we We, we started were, playing. We started playing. Yeah. That's fair. Wait, you were already playing it, right? You're you're not just like supernaturally good at this game. <laughs> oh Carl, are you really great? <laughs> Move on. Okay. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, maybe you're not supernaturally good. I think I am just supernaturally bad. Uh, well, it's, I've, I am, like, I started early because I, normally I, like, don't necessarily start the weekend that we recorded the previous podcast. I, like, I start on the following weekend. Um, but I started, like, right after we finished recording the last podcast because... Uh, I was like, this game is a roguelike, and uh, it's going to take me a while. <laughs> I am not very good at deck builders, and I should get started now. And I'm glad I did. I, I had the same experience, and uh, while, uh, full disclosure, I didn't actually finish the game, I watched the last, like, I watched the ending. I got most of the way through it and watched the ending, but like... Yeah, I'm glad that I definitely also started early so that I was able to play most of it. Um, you were at, I, at least able to get to the three different acts. Yeah. yeah, I think if if I had, you know, if we had another week, I would be able to carve out enough time to finish it. But, uh, I mean, after watching the ending, 
and watching maybe like the final hour of gameplay ish. Um, I, I, I think don't need I feel the need to. <laughs> I think I would have ended up like just too annoyed and yeah. frustrated. Um, which is not to say that this isn't a really good game. Um, that I think I think what it comes down to for me, and we can get into this more in depth later, but I think there's just too much game in this game for me. Yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> um, Carl, you want to like officially yeah. intro the game? <laughs> we say the inscription, which last time I said was a roguelike, and I, it's a third of a roguelike at least. Third of it is a roguelike. Yeah, a third of it is a roguelike, and then becomes like a deck builder. Uh, and it's by uh, I had once again I had a Daniel tab Mullen. open. Daniel Mullen Games. And then I used okay. it to look up pictures of Louisa. <laughs> uh, you know, as you do. Um, yeah, Daniel Mullins who did Pony Island and um the Hex, which uh, so I also did a little bit of reading, and apparently there is some like like shared universe stuff going on between this and the hex and i own the hex and i have not played the hex so i don't know maybe yeah, i need to go back is, and do that uh i don't know the the thing is like the shared universe part is like there's a whole big arg connected to inscription apparently yeah um which may one day result in there being a better ending for the game but so far the arg is still ongoing so who knows um, i'm just gonna say this I think the first third of the game was one of the best games released this year. Yes, agreed. And I do think this game was not a good game. Ooh, I, that is a, a spicy opinion, Carl. I love it. Yeah, I, I probably like. I I agree with you on all general points, just probably to different degrees. Like I I do think like the first third of the game is incredibly excellent and that it suffers for not being just that <laughs> because it becomes it becomes two other things that are not as good um and like they on their own they probably would have been fine but the fact that they come after something that's so good and then just keep going for so long kind of like waters down the initial experience it feels like that really uh, sums it up in a lot of ways. It also doesn't help that, like, the, so much of this is predicated upon, like, the story, even though it is, you know, it, it's mostly a gameplay game. There's not a lot of story yeah. that happens to you moment to moment, um, and yet there is a lot of story. And I mean, I I have always been of the opinion that if you're if you're hiding your story behind an arg, uh kind of fuck off um yeah. i understand that a yeah. lot of people are into that um but it's just i don't know it, it just seems yeah, like the, a part, that's, way the to... part that's in the game should be satisfying and i was mm -hmm. honestly invested enough in the the sort of the character and the story despite the like slightly hokey acting <laughs> going on because there's a so we'll get probably into more detail but there's a series of live action sequences that kind of intersperse the the various parts of the games um, that tell sort of a, a meta story about the character who is playing the game. And I, I kind of was interested in it. It gets like a little creepy pasta, 
in kind of a fun way and i like i was like ooh where this where's this going but it it doesn't feel like the ending is very satisfying it feels like it just kind of peters out um and then spoilers i, guess, the, I mean i think the character dies at the end and it's like well I, all right i think there is like more story coming up in dlc at least from what i can glean from the steam page there's like a whole thing about um casey who is a character in the world who you know shows up also in the, the game game um uh so i i'm i'm assuming there's going to be like more more going on with that i i think my big problem with the story is that i i also was invested in it until like the the very end bits where it gets into like you know and this again we'll we'll expound more upon this further but the whole thing with like the old data and uh, what i was reading about you know the ramifications of the old data within the quote unquote real world and that's where it really veers off way too hard into like bad video game creepy pasta which is uh, almost <laughs> all video game creepy pasta um, i i have a it, soft spot for video game creepy pasta so perhaps there, like there are like two really good ones uh one that is really good until it shits the bed and then i think like the rest of it is basically dreck but i would say that that also kind of holds true for creepypasta in general mm -hmm. is that there is a, a tiny tiny amount that is exceptional and the rest of it just sucks yeah um, because it's people trying to make creepypasta make and not make up ghost stories <laughs> Yeah, like it's people who want to make something creepy pasta to go, you know, viral or to emulate the genre, but they're not as interested in writing. I think. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's this is neither here nor there. I don't want to shit on. Look, I don't want to shit on like kids writing creepy pasta if that's what's going to get them into writing more seriously. If that's what they're into. Uh, yeah. So. Or like directing but... horror films when they grow up or something. Yeah, you know, if that's. You know, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to shit on kids doing it because that's whatever. But like, I don't know. I wasn't expecting this game to be so much similar to Pony Island, which is weird because maybe I should. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's how the game was kind of sold to me. It was like, oh, you remember how like there was all that meta stuff in Pony Island? Like this is kind of like that, but it's done a little better. Uh, and I'm like, all right, I enjoyed the, like, weird meta stuff in Pony Island, why not? Oh, I just googled pictures of inscription, and all you see is Act 1. Yeah. There's yeah, literally yeah, yeah. nothing else. Yeah, it is kind of nuts that, yeah, that, like, you know, for for a lot of a lot of the internet, the game just seems to be Act 1, which, I mean, yeah. Act one's really good. Yeah, well, um, I'm, which like fine. I enjoyed the heck out of Act one. Yeah, um, I'll I'll be honest. It's been so long since we played Pony Island, and I never did revisit it. That God, I just don't remember very much of it at all. Yeah. Well, the um, thing about Pony Island is that the gameplay was bad, but that was like part of yeah. the joke, right? It was like a it was like an endless runner where you were a pony jumping over obstacles, and then. It turns out the game is made by the devil, and the devil is a terrible game designer and keeps trying to fix shit while you're playing, um, and ends up making a lot of things worse half the time, um, which is like a funny premise. And like 
the gameplay has to be bad in order for that premise to work. And so you kind of like the weird meta elements because like that's the fun, funny part of the game, right? You're you're kind of slogging through the gameplay in many ways to get to that. Where in this, it's like the opposite. Like the gameplay in the first part is really good. And then you kind of, the, the meta elements kind of like barge in on you and take it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and I, I would even say that, you know, the, the first act also is the strongest narratively and the strongest tonally. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of gets less and less focused from there on out. And I don't know how much of that is just the, the, the continued, you know, introduction of new gameplay elements and the implications of those gameplay mechanics, you know, on the story. Um, I don't know. It's well, like here's here's a microcosm of the problem. In the first part of the game, it is a card, like a deck building card game with two resources, and those resources are blood and bone. And they work really well together because you get blood by sacrificing creatures on the field and you get bone when anytime things die, regardless of whether like you sacrifice them or they died from other causes. Um, and those two like synergize really well and they're really interesting and they're really thematically related. And they're, you know, it's kind of a dark system because it's all based around like the death of your, your creatures. And it's, it's sort of like, it's very interesting. And then in part two, those become two out of four resources uh, where the other two and they're like split apart so that you have to use basically uh, you don't have to. But like at points, you find yourself using either just blood or just bone or one of the other two, which are uh, energy and gems. Um, and all of a sudden, they're not cohesively related to each other anymore. They're just four different resources that are not as interesting or like meaningful to use as the first two. Uh, and then you get into the third act and it's just energy, which is like less interesting than blood and bone were. Yeah. Energy is the least interesting of all of the mechanics. And I, I really like did not get into the gem stuff at all because yeah, the, the gems know. is, the gems is more interesting, but also more frustrating to use. I feel like. I I didn't uh, like the gem system at all. Yeah, I I basically I I basically stuck with um with with blood and bone uh until the game forced me to not <laughs> to not use either of those anymore. Um Yeah. And and it also doesn't help that the the gem and um energy systems are really not explained like the gem system is kind of not explained to you um at any point you do just kind of have to suss it out yourself which is fine um but lumping you know the 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 gems and the energy just kind of throwing them at you without any explanation of you know how they fit into the game overall like it's i i understand that it is very deliberate that this is a game that is kind of constantly keeping you off balance mm -hmm. that doesn't make it fun yeah like it's it's definitely deliberate and i think it succeeds pretty spectacularly but it's not fun yeah <laughs> um, yeah so. so the first part of the game um you 
you start up the game and you are not allowed to create a new game. You are only allowed to continue the existing game. Uh, and you boot up in a creepy dark cavern, uh, cabin with these like mysterious glow-in-the-dark eyes looking at you from across the table. Uh, and you are forced to stay in this cabin and play a card game. Um, and you can get up and walk around the cabin, and there are some other things in the cabin that will help you. Um, but you have to play this sort of roguelike card game uh, and try and defeat your opponent at the table. And every time you die, <clears throat> you get your picture taken. And I do want to talk about the death card mechanic um, at some point, because... I think it's actually a really brilliant mechanic for a roguelike. Um, right. But you get, if when you die, you get a, a new card that is based on uh, the run that you had uh, previously, and you get your picture, quote-unquote, taken uh, and used as the face uh, on the card. And you keep going, and if you if you beat him you still get your picture taken. It just doesn't get to become a card. It gets, like, mounted on the cabin door instead. Um, mm -hmm. So you can see your victory, but it doesn't help you in any way. Um, and so the goal is actually not just to beat this strange figure. Um, the goal is to find a way to, like, stop the cycle. Uh, and the, the figure, there's a series of boss fights you have to go through with a figure where he puts on these masks of other characters and, like, you know, becomes these bosses that you have to fight. Uh, and then if you get all the way to the end, he reveals himself and he's, like, this creepy old man of the forest type with, like, you know, tree branches growing from his head. And uh, he has this... the His magic camera like, captures people and transforms them into cards. So you have to find a series of talking cards uh, around the cabin that you add to your deck, and you do that, you find them by doing, like, various little puzzles and things, um, and, some, and sometimes doing, like, very specific things in the middle of the roguelike. Um, the cabin can also help you with other, like, optional things that will just make the game a little bit easier, which I was super grateful for and got, like, all of them because I needed them. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And if you can get all the talking cards, the last one will give you a an extra roll of film. And that way, when you, like, swipe uh, the, the main enemy's camera, um, you can take his picture and turn him into a card. And that gives you the option of new game, which lets you actually restart the game, quote unquote, from the beginning, which is to say not continuing the existing game. And then you get introduced. So you actually, the first time you win, regardless of that you win the roguelike, regardless of whether you have the film canisters or not, uh, you get a series of videos that are like meta that are about a, a guy called. Um, Luke Carter. Luke AKA Carter. A.K.A. The Lucky Carter on YouTube, yep. I guess. Yep. He's, uh, yeah, so he's one of those guys who does, like, card pack opening videos, which is a whole genre and a real thing. Um, but the idea is that, like, you know, he found some packs of this old card game inscription at a garage sale, and he opened them, and one of them had, like, 
these coordinates written on it and it was nearby to where he lived so he went out into the woods and like dug up this old floppy disk and uh and played it and it turns out it had this digital version of inscription on it which wasn't like no one knew existed um but obviously the like game is cursed and if you play it there are like four bosses in the game and if you play it one of the bosses will like try to entrap you in the game and the idea is that like ah yes well leshy was one of these four bosses and that's the one that you played against for the first third of the game and he you know now that you've defeated him and can restart the game over, you can sort of, like, pick your poison. You can pick one of the other three, uh, except you can't, actually. But um, the the other, the three talking cards that you picked up over the course of the game were actually uh, the three other leaders. So there's um, Leshy of the Forest, who uses blood as his mechanic uh, and photography to capture his cards. Um, there's a... Deck is all, like, animal-based, like, it's the beast deck. Yep. Um, there's P03, who has a robot deck and uses energy. Um, there's Magnificus, who's sort of like a weird shrub person. Um, like, he looks like Cousin It from (laughs) Adam's Family a little bit, uh, but green. Um, and he's like magic based and uses this this gemstone magic deck. P03's deck is all robot theme. Uh, sorry, what, yeah. what's the name of the fourth one? Grimora. The um Grimora. the this so they're all called scribes with a Y. That's like the thing. <laughs> and and um yeah, Grimora is the scribe of the dead. So she's got the the bone deck, um, which is yeah. all you know skeletons and you know undead sort of creatures skeleton yeah. zombies she uses she uses um a quill like a, a like feather quill for her scribing thing to like make her cards p03 has like this weird technology tube thing that he uses to capture things into cards and then the Magnificus has, like, a paintbrush that he uses. So the idea is, like, all three of them have the power to, like, generate cards, but they all do it in slightly different ways. And that's reflected in their different deck styles and and the boss fights against each of them. Um, So the idea is you're supposed to pick one that you... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so within the, like, narrative of Inscription, the, the game that we played, not the game within the game... Like, all of the scribes hate each other. Is that part of the, like, the game as written? Or is that just part of the meta narrative? I could never fully figure I that out. It's, it's part of the game as written that they are, like, they are, like, vying with one another for power. Um, but it's, I don't think it's part of the game as written that, like, one of them will, like, take over and try and entrap you in the game. Like, that's sort of yeah. a... Oh shit. Not quite as much yeah, not quite as much treachery as as maybe as what we get. Um, Yeah. And uh yeah, yeah, so you have to pick one of them that you plan to quote unquote replace, and that determines what deck you start with in that section of the game. And this at this point it goes from previously it's been sort of this like dark atmospheric 3D game, first person game. Uh at this point it becomes like a little pixel game. (laughs) Like a little pixel over map 
uh, sort of thing that where you have uh, it reminds me of like the early um, Game Boy Pokemon card games. Mm-hmm. Um, very kind of like uh, cute and low budget sort of look to it. Uh, yeah, so you go around collecting cards from all four types. You can build a deck that's like a mix of all the different card types. But if you try and do all of the different types, you're probably, like, dooming yourself to failure. It's much better, I think, to stick to, like, a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, like, a there's a character who will give you deck building tips. There's also an auto-fill deck button, where if you don't want to spend the time deck building, you can just hit a button and it'll put, like, all the best cards in your deck. And that works okay. Um, it's not as good as, like, building a good deck, but it will get you through most of that part, I think. Yeah, it's it's good up until probably the last, like, third, when you've just got so many cards that the, the deck that it will generate is, like, total nonsense. At least yeah. that's what happened to me. Um, yeah, I, I definitely relied upon that to at least get me, like, three quarters of the way to a deck um, at the start. Although, even at the start... It it would just give me, like, you know, I would have primarily a bone... Like, I started with Grimora's mm-hmm. deck. Um, yep. And I started off, you know, building with the Grimora and the um, the Beast deck because I, A, knew those mechanics, um, and B, that is kind of... I feel like that's sort of the order that, you're, that you go in when you go through the game. Um, yeah. But... Um, I still ended up with like one energy, like it would, I would auto build the deck at the very beginning and it's like, here's a a null conduit in your blood and bone deck that doesn't do anything. It doesn't interact with, with the rest of your cards at all. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So the, like the blood, as we mentioned, blood is the mechanic is you sacrifice your cards in order to gain, uh, the currency you need to play higher level cards. The bone mechanic it's is Yu-Gi-Oh mechanics. Is that how that works? Yeah. Okay. I have never played Yu-Gi-Oh cards, so I do Neither not know. I. Um, but the uh, or dual monsters, I guess, is the official name of the the in-game, the in-world name for that game. Anyway, um, yeah. So the bone mechanic is when things die, um, they generate bones for you. Um, so therefore the bone deck has a lot of, um, creatures with like a fragile quality where they attack once and then just die immediately. Um, the energy deck, uh, is just, you just get more energy every turn. So the first turn you have one energy cap, the second turn you have a two energy cap, uh, the third turn you have a three energy cap and so on up to, I think, six? Yeah, Five or six? Um, and, you know, your energy refills at the beginning of each turn, but, um, you know, you, so basically in, in energy terms, if you can survive to the late game, you can usually do really well, but the trick is surviving the first few rounds when you don't have much energy. Um, a lot of, a lot of building an energy deck is just kind of, um, having enough shit cards to throw out and sacrifice at the beginning that eventually... You'll draw good cards and have the energy to spend on them after yeah. however many turns. Yeah. And so the uh, the final one, Gems, is a little bit more like a traditional Magic the Gathering type mana system where you have a card that represents your cost. But unlike 
uh, magic where you, you know, you need like three islands or whatever to play a particular card. It's really like a, a have or don't have. It's like if you have a blue energy card, blue gem card on the deck anywhere, then you can play as many blue cards as you want. If you have an orange deck, uh, orange gem on the board, you can play as many orange cards as you want. Uh, and if you have a green gem, you can play as many green as you want. And the the deck builder like hint person suggests that like you should not try building a deck with all three gem colors because like it's much more efficient to actually focus on one or two which mm -hmm. makes sense um but yeah that one's rough because like if your resource resource card gets destroyed you just can't play new cards until you get another resource card um yeah which is difficult and, and there's a lot of modifiers like sometimes if your resource card there are you know some i guess a attacking cards where if your resource card is destroyed, then those cards get destroyed, but then some of some of them will persist on the board even if your resource gets destroyed. And then there's modifiers that add damage to your resource cards. There's a lot of... Yeah, there's some there's, that there's like... There's a they, lot of modifiers in that one. Yeah, there's some cards that drop a resource card when they're destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, so that one's, that one's kind of complex and difficult to use. Um, yeah. So you pick whichever person you want, uh, you fight all four bosses, um, and then you get to the end of the uh, sequence where you like get to make the choice again, like which boss do you want to replace and become the new scribe of that thing. Uh, and no matter which one you pick, uh, P03 makes a grab for power and is like, actually, I'm taking over, fuck you. Uh, and then you go into part three, which is Botopia, which is basically the same general setup as part one, where you're, it's like in first person and you're trapped in a room across from, in this case, P03 instead of Leshy, and, uh, you have to play the game. But it's not a roguelike, um, and you're using the energy mechanic solely instead of, and like the robot-themed cards instead of the creature-themed cards. Um, um it, part yeah. three also is kind of just Pony Island again, because you've <laughs> got the you know you've got P zero three, um, who is this malignant force who is sort of trying to build the game as he goes along, and he's just not very good at it in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and most of his ideas are just lifted from you know what Leshy was doing previously. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, which is kind of funny, but uh, that. And like they introduce the like some weird mechanics in this one yeah. for like boss fights and things. Yeah, um, the, the, I don't know the the way that Act Three is kind of predicated on the joke that P zero three is like kind of dumb um, and just kind of dumb and evil. I don't know. It it feels like he this doesn't is feel the joke as threatening it... as Leshy did. Like Leshy yeah. feels genuinely creepy and off-putting and like when he captures you with the camera it feels like he's legit killing you and you're helpless and it's it's quite scary. Yeah. Um, the whole first act has this like really strong like creepy scary aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And you got like your blood, your bones. You got teeth as a mechanic, and oh yeah, you yeah. can like pull out teeth 
to gain Teeth extra eyes. extra um, health and yeah, sacrifice yeah. bits of yourself. Yeah, like the the sacrificing does not extend just to your cards, but also to your own body as well, which is like really fucked up because they you get little items that you can sort of use to you know, try yeah, to turn like the game in your favor. One, one shot, like usable, like um, consumables, basically. Um, and in the first act, you know, in Act One, they're like, "Oh, here's a here's a set of pliers. It'll add a weight to the scale." Um, and it doesn't tell you until you use it that what will happen when you use the pliers is you just pull out one of your own teeth and put it on the scale. Um, yeah. Similarly to what it was, was it the Scissor? No, scissors cuts up someone. What was the one that it's a, that it's a knife out your eye? It's, it's, just a, knife. it's just a dagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it that rips out your own eye. Um, like God, it's just brutal. And um, I think and you don't see. Yeah, your vision gets see, lowered. You can't see well yeah. for the rest of the round, which is like <laughs> distressing. Yeah. Um. The the other big thing that really distinguishes Act One and Act Three, even though they play kind of similarly um is got the act one just has an incredible soundtrack like yeah. unbelievably good at setting the tone holy shit um and act three i got i don't even remember what the music sounds like yeah it's just weird sort of distorted tech kind of sounds yeah like um, not definitely not as impactful so um and the so in the first one, it's like this roguelike thing where there's these randomly generated maps um, where you, you know, you're you're mostly proceeding forward and periodically there will be forks in the road where you can choose between one or two paths. And the paths have a sequence of stops along them that will be things like pull a new card or um, power up one of your cards or like make a trade for something. Um, there's a thing where, um, so as you, if you can perform more damage against your opponent in a given round than necessary, you basically get currency, which is in the form of teeth. Uh, and at the, uh, at the trader, the trapper first or trader first? It's the um, trapper first, you trade teeth for pelts. Yes. And so if you go to a trapper, you can trade teeth for pelts, which are cards that don't do anything. Um, so it's kind of detrimental to have them in your deck. But if you can get all the way then to a trader, you can trade the pelts for, like, real powered up monster cards that are very good. Mm -hmm. um, and you meet the I've trapper again. Yeah, and then yeah, the trapper becomes yeah. the third boss and is fucking hard. I probably oh, lost yeah. more more to the trapper and trader boss than any other in the game. But yeah, so the there's some really cool stops along that way. Like there's uh the campfire where there's a bunch of he calls them the survivors. Um there's a bunch of like these creepy people around a campfire and they like encourage you to put one of your cards by the fire and you can power it up. Uh, if you leave it by the fire, but if you leave it too long, then they will eat it and destroy it. Um, although I learned Which a, a cheese. Yeah, I learned about this Easter egg <laughs> reading up about it afterwards, which I wish I had known. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Um, if you if you sacrifice a certain type of beast, uh, which is uh, something poisonous, if you 
let it sit on the fire long enough that the survivors eat it. The next time you go to the campfire, they are all dead, and you can power up any card to your heart's content. I think you can get, like, five plus times five. The thing yeah, said. plus yeah. five to either health or damage, or... Is there another? No, it's, there it's, only, it's only health or damage, but it's oh, either yeah. two health or one damage, I believe, uh, that you can gain from at, at per, per upgrade. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. Very useful. Um, um, there's there's a couple little Easter eggs like that. If you um, so at the if you have enough money at the um, trapper, you can buy golden pelts. Um, and like golden pelts are uh, like will get you like super rare monsters from the trader. So you want to get golden pelts if you can. Um, but the there's another card called the mycologist which is two men fused together, which is sort of like, they're very creepy. Um, and they have, you know, like that little doctor's light thing on one of them. And they like to perform experiments. And if you give them two of the same cards, uh, then they will destroy, they will experiment on the cards and basically forge them into one single card that has all of the stats and special abilities of both of the original cards. Um, which is usually good because it's a it means you have a you know you have fewer cards and you but they're more powerful which is usually good in deck builders. Um, yeah, if you have you know, two, you have a more powerful card that is a, a comparably lower cost for you yes, know, what you're getting because the the cost of the of the cards don't go up. So it's mm -hmm. the same cost as each of the original ones, but it's twice as powerful. Um, <clears throat> if you have two golden pelts. Uh, he will not let you choose other cards. He will automatically fuse the two golden pelts to each other. Uh, and if you, if you have, if you then go to the, uh, trader after that, he is so impressed by the fused golden pelts that he will offer you to trade only pelts that are already fusions of other cards. Um, and they're fusions of rare cards. So you can get, like, Double Amalgam, Double Mantis God, uh, Double, you know, Ouroboros. Like, oh. yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's very, like, very powerful. And I happen to have, because um, I, was, I was on a run where I was able to do a lot of overkill damage, so I had a lot of um, extra money. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually had, I think, like, four golden pelts in my inventory. And you get to buy those double cards with each of the golden pelts, not just the fused one. So Ooh. I was able to get, like, four super powerful rare fusion monsters in one run. That was the run I won with. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Yeah, it was intense. That's really good. Um, yeah, I, I think my favorite thing about um, Act 1 is I, I think we all had very, very different routes to just being unbelievably overpowered in, you know, in the end yeah. sequence. <laughs> and yeah, that, and yeah. that's great, but there's so many ways to get there. Um, yeah. And it feels good when you find a combo that's really OP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think and Carl it's... and I both got the, um, like, uh, card, card, the squirrel card. So you have two decks. You have, like, your normal beast deck and you have the squirrel deck 
And the squirrel deck is, uh, you can draw, f you can only draw one card per round, but you can draw from either of the deck. And the squirrel deck is a bunch of, I think, zero, one cards. So they're like very, very weak. So zero, the first number is like the attack power, second number is health, just like magic. Um, squirrels are unique because they don't cost anything to play. They're free. So you can always play a squirrel in order to have something to sacrifice later. Um, but there are special totems uh, you can get um, as one of the like special squares you can land on. You can get a totem that uh, one group of animals will gain one special ability. And which, which group and which special ability is based on what totems you happen to draw randomly. Except in the room, you can find a squirrel head for the totem, which means your squirrel deck can get powered up. And there are some really OP things you can power up your squirrels with. For instance, uh, triple blood. Every sacrifice of a squirrel is worth three blood instead of one blood. And I think, I think almost all of your most powerful cards are going to be three. There's a couple four blood cards, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. um, but most of the time it's going to be three. So if you have triple blood squirrels, uh, uh, shortcut to, you know, playing all of your most fucking wrecking ball cards yeah and uh there's also yeah there's also a uh um it's... yeah there's also a a special that you can get that's um gives you an ant card whenever the uh the card is um i think it's whenever the card is played it puts an ant card into your hand uh ant cards uh, a worker ant specifically worker ants the power of a worker ant uh, is based on the number of worker ants on the board. So every turn, you draw a squirrel, play the squirrel, sacrifice the squirrel, play the ant card. So that means by turn four, you have four, four, four creatures on the board, and you will fucking wreck everything. It's That was the first time I won when I didn't have the film yet, uh, and it was just like a... <clears throat> a temporary victory i was like i just got this incredibly op squirrel combo yeah the squirrel ants is a lot of fun i i had that totem at one point i didn't end up winning that run um but it was still really fun to play <laughs> for sure um and the so the i i want to talk just a like brief aside about the health mechanic um because i think the health mechanic is uh or not the health but like the scoring mechanic in the game um, because I think it's like a really good system, uh, which is there is a set of scales, uh, and the scales have five ticks in either direction, and it starts at zero. So at some point through the game, you have to deal five more damage to your opponent than your opponent deals to you. So like, if I could deal five damage on the first turn, I automatically win, because it goes from zero to five. Um, but if my opponent has dealt me three damage, then the scale is at negative three and I have to do eight damage to win. And so it's kind of a cool back and forth. Like it feels real neat. Um, I think that was like a really good way of, of keeping tension. And it, it doesn't, it, like it has the potential to make the game go on too long, but because like the longer you are in the game, the more likely you are to do large amounts of damage, um, it's kind of self-limiting. Um, so I was like, I was really impressed by that mechanic. The game is not symmetrical, 
but it's asymmetrical in some really like well-designed ways. Since it's a roguelike, it doesn't really have to be symmetrical, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and because it's a single-player game. And yeah. Like, but for instance, like your opponent doesn't have to worry about resource costs, but um, you get to see what cards they're going to play next turn. So it, you know, like there's some there's some interesting asymmetrical balances like that, and I just I feel like even the even though it is symmetrical, the um the that scale scoring mechanic is like just a really good addition. I like that one a lot. Um, but anyway, let's talk about death cards. Um, because <laughs> speaking of ways you can get really op. Yeah. Um, one thing I love mechanically in part one is this idea of death cards. So, you know, one of the problems with a roguelike is, uh, you know, it's you you lose all the stuff. If you're having a really good run and you lose, you know, halfway through, two thirds of the way through, it feels really wasted. Like, what? I didn't, you know, like... I had a great run and I didn't do that well. What was the fucking point, right? Like that's one of I, the things I hate about roguelikes. Yeah, I will say it's. I think it's a better to like reference it as a thing you don't like about roguelikes. Yes, sorry, not yeah. yeah. That's that's a thing some people love about roguelikes. It's a thing I personally can't stand about roguelikes. Yeah. Um. It's it's. I find it very demoralizing. Um. And one uh thing they have to help you in this is. At the end of a run, when Leshy kills you, he uses your deck to make a death card, which a death card is a card that gets put into the random rotation of cards, and it's based on the deck that you just had, um, like three random cards from that deck. You do, you do get to make some choices about it, but it's like, um, first he will deal you like two to three random cards from which to choose uh, the cost of the card, then he will deal you two to three cards from which to choose the um, health and power numbers, and then he will deal you two to three cards from which to choose any uh, special abilities that they had. So the better you do on a run, the better your death card is likely to be. And death cards are forever a thing you can randomly get from that point on. And so... Mm -hmm. With more better death cards available to you, you're more likely to do better on runs, which means you're more likely to get better death cards, which means you're more likely to do better on the next run, and so on. And so it's a real, it's real, real good as a fail-forward mechanic. Like, the better you did, the better you are helping, even if you lost, the better it helps you to do next time. And unlike the problem we talked about with, um, when we were playing, uh going under where you like sometimes you don't want to unlock special abilities because they just water down the pool like in general your death card is not always better than your previous death card but the chances of it being better are higher it tends to trend upwards so you're usually not disappointed to put your new deck card into rotation your new death card mm -hmm. which i you know I thought that was a really good solution to a variety of uh, issues I have with roguelikes. Uh, and I was yeah. pretty impressed. And oh man, did I have some OP death cards. By the, by the final run that I was doing, I had a card that was, I think it was like a 3-4 like a or something. And it was, it was either one sacrifice or it was free. 
Um, and it had a triple attack, the triple attack from Mantis God. So it attacks yeah. three squares. So that means it can deal nine damage in one round. So if I've drawn that first turn, that is my instant win card. I just play it and I win the game. Yep, I had the same experience. That, that's how I, um, how I, you know, got through Act One was with a really, really good death card that only got better through the run. Um, but by the end of the, you know, by the end of the run, it being I think it was 11-3, it was trifurcated, so um, 33 damage per turn if yep. you place it right on the board. Plus it had um, Dinky, so anyone across, is so directly across from it um, can't deals attack it. Deals one less damage. Well, it deals oh, yeah, one less damage. It deals one less damage, that's true, yeah. Um, which uh, it completely breaks the final encounter. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think... I think it had um what is it poisonous where regardless like if it if it hits yeah, anything kill. it instant kills them. So yeah. I had I had so many teeth by the end of that. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. and by by the final um by the final, you know, match um there's a, a you know some mechanics, not mechanics. There's like some like draws that let you maybe or maybe not, depending on what you pull, um, get like a boon. And I had the boon that lets you just pick any card out of your deck. So uh, of course, yeah, of course, the first card that I would pick out of my deck is my zero cost, 33 damage, instant kill, stinky card. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt really unfair. Um, yeah. But I got there but it under my good. own steam. It yeah, feels exactly. good when you get to that point. You feel like you deserve to get to that point <laughs> yeah. once you get there. Because, you, like, I mean, not all of us are Carl who can be very good at the game immediately. Some of us yeah. fail a lot on the way up. <laughs> yeah. And so it feels good to get to the point where you, you feel OP. Yeah, where you're just mopping the floor with everyone else's cards. Yeah. So the the final the final boss fight like can be kind of terrifying. I was like real tense during the final boss fight uh both times that I did it because the first round he uh randomly uses not randomly, but he uses powers from each of the previous bosses to do things like steal your cards or like just destroy everything you have on the field in one fell swoop. Um, and, like, you know, that's that's really annoying. Round two, he only uses death cards from the deck, so which are usually pretty powerful. Uh, and then round three, he makes you fight the goddamn moon. Uh, he takes yep. a picture of the moon, and the moon becomes a, a board on the car, uh, a card on the board that takes up all four slots, and... It has gravitation, which means it pulls any weak cards like squirrels into it on its turn automatically. Um, it has uh, quad attack, so it attacks every space on the board for one damage during its turn. Um, it can't. It auto blocks flyers. Um, I don't know if it if it's vulnerable to insta kill, to like poison or not. I don't. Um, it, think it is i don't remember it would be funny if it was if i feel like it it probably isn't but um uh yeah so it's the moon and it's got 40 health 
So, like, most things in the game, it's, like, are between, like, one and five health. And it has 40 health. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of have to be OP to beat it. Or you have to have a stinky card. Because the stinky card reduces the enemy's damage by one. And the moon only does one damage. And if you play the stinky card, Leshy goes, wait. Wait, how does that even work? The moon doesn't have a sense of smell. Like, that shouldn't do anything. This is not how I saw this going. <laughs> yeah. And that is also pretty hilarious. Yep. Um, yeah, so there's there's some real fun, interesting mechanics in part one. And some of them sort of come back in part three. Um, in part three, you have, like, it's not a roguelike, you just have like a, a top-down map that you're navigating, and if you die, you go back to like the nearest checkpoint instead of starting over. Which is more it's forgiving. Yeah, it's basically Dark Souls. You lose all your yeah. money when you die, but if you can get back to it before you die again, um, then you get it back. Yeah, do you have to get back to it before you die again, or just, just have to get back to it? Uh, I... I think you have to get back to it before you die again, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I um, never failed to get back to it, so I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, usually it's not an issue. I don't think I ever had an issue with it either, but I, I believe there is text saying you gotta get back to it before you die again, otherwise you lose it. Um, but that's only your currency that you lose. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, um, there's... Uh... Yeah, so like there's, you know, it's a little bit more forgiving, which is kind of nice that late in the game because you sort of don't have patience, I feel like, for a roguelike at that point. If you had to restart every time you died in that section, it would be like real frustrating. Um, <clears throat> but just like uh, in in part one, there's like things around the room that can help you. There's um, like these sliding tile puzzles in both halves uh, in both parts of the game that you know, you can get some extra helper stuff, and there's, you know, a, a mechanic for gaining new cards and a mechanic on the board for uh, creating cards for ones that are currently in your deck. Um, I don't know. It all just, a lot of it just kind of feels like watered-down versions of the part one mechanics. Um, there's a There's a part where you can, like, make your own cards, but they're not as good as the death cards because there's an actual balanced cost system associated with them. Yeah. Um, and you you go through and you fight, like, the four quote-unquote uber-bots. His is all technology-related, so, like, with Leshy, you play on, like, a scroll in, like, a candlelight area with, uh, and he, like, puts down a new scroll every time you get to a new section of the game, of the, like, roguelike part, uh, with P03, it's a, like an iPad, basically. It's like a little digital device that yeah. you, you go through. Um, the, the bosses have real weird gimmicks in, like, in part three. They have, like, in, in part one, the boss gimmicks are, the first boss is the Prospector, and he has a move that, um, so he is a donkey, which has a bunch of cards in a pack on its back. And if you kill the donkey, then you can... Um, you get you those cards you get added those to your cards. Hand, but only, yeah. only for that battle, I think. And then they just go yeah. away. If, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and, he also uh, has a move that turns all the cards you have in play on the board into um, gold nuggets, which are like, there's what, zero one, I think, or zero, zero twos, zero, I think. Zero, yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, and that's, yeah, which is like, you know, it, it does block enemy creatures for a turn, but also like if you had good cards on the deck, then it sucks because you just lost your good card. Um, but all bosses have two health, so you have to get the scale to tip to the enemy side twice, uh, and it resets after the first time. So he does his, he only does his big, uh, gold, gold turn attack, like, when you change phases from, you know, getting the, getting the score down the first time to getting the, the second time. Um, the second boss is the, like, the fisherman, and he... Uh, he steals your cards. So, like, in the first round, whichever card you put down most recently, um, <clears throat> he will steal over to his side. And that uh, means you basically have to end each turn by putting down a squirrel or something similar. Uh, and then in the second phase, he puts down uh, chum buckets. Uh, everywhere that he previously had, or that you previously had a card, uh, and those are, like, they don't attack, but if you defeat them, uh, they become giant sharks that yeah. uh, can, that duck under during their turn, so you can't really kill them, and they do four damage, so they will pretty, like, instantly annihilate anything that you put in front of them. <clears throat> And then the Trapper Trader, in the first phase, he has a bunch of, like, these weird bear trap cards that will insta-kill your cards, but they leave you a pelt card in its place. And then at the beginning of round two, he shows you, like, eight, I think, really powerful cards, and you can pay f pelts. For each pelt you have, you can take one of the cards. And any cards you don't take, he gets to keep and use against you. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, that's pretty, like, that's pretty intense. And those all feel, like, very thematically in line with, um, you know, with how Leshy works and how the, the decks work. Yeah. Um, with P03, there's, like, a boss that, like, reads your file system and, like, threatens to delete the actual files on your system. Um, there's a boss that, like, searches the web and tries to share cards between, like, you and your friends, your Steam friends games, uh, and, and actually, like, it literally uses your Steam friends against you, which I thought was really funny. Um, I don't know, it's, I do like the bosses, they do, like, feel on theme for P03, um, it's just that they feel less interesting and less like menacing than the part one bosses. They're just like a, a watered down version. As, as I said before, like I think on their own, if you hadn't already played part one, they would be really cool and really interesting, but just they suffer in comparison. Yeah. I think I really do think that the tone of act one carries it so far that, you know, stripping the game of that tone does just a, a completely ruinous amount of damage to the game as it you know as it ends up feeling 
Um, yeah, and it's not like the third part isn't... <clears throat> well, I was going to say it's not like the third part isn't high stakes, but they actually don't really reveal the stakes until the very end, so you don't actually yeah. feel as, as much um, the high stakes. I would also say, like, Act 1 does a great job of weaving in the narrative into the gameplay. Yeah. Of having, like, cards to talk, cards that, like, you need to destroy to get bonuses. Yeah. And information in the gameplay that leads to the next round getting better. Yeah, yeah, because there's, like, a part where... None of that is left. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally fair. Well... They try and, like, lampshade it at the end and say, like, oh, all along you were doing things that, like, were helping the P-03. It's like, P-03's whole plan, apparently, is to upload this cursed game to Steam with himself in the lead position so that he will always, like, rule the game. And he, so when you get to the end and you've beaten all these bosses, he's like, haha, you didn't realize that, like... You know, when you did the internet boss, you were actually connecting me to the network. And, like, when you did this photograph boss, you were, like, actually taking screenshots for the Steam page. And it's like, all right. <laughs> like, that doesn't that doesn't feel like that really was paying off a promise in any kind of meaningful way. Uh, yeah, for it's, sure. It's, it's just... How do I put it? I'm trying to like I'm trying to come up with the words. It feels like too much of a fourth wall break in the way that like like Doki Doki Literature Club, that kind of fourth wall break can be impactful, but then then like, you know, Doki Doki Literature Club gets ported to consoles and they give you a fake desktop UI and all of a sudden it's like this is fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, it, it, it just goes too far and is too dumb to be, yeah. you know, affecting. Yeah. And as I said, like, maybe maybe in another game that was shorter and put this stuff up front, like, that would be kind of interesting and fun. And maybe had more, as Carl, as you were saying, had more of it woven into the actual, like, gameplay and storytelling of that part. But it just, it falls a little flat. I, this is not in line with what we were saying, but I just want to uh, shout out the uh, Ouroboros card, which you can get in part one and part three, uh, which dies. Like it's it's a starts as a one one card that's actually pretty expensive, um, and it has a, the power of when it dies, it goes back into your hand. But it also has a a special secret power, which is when it dies, it is permanently improved by one one for the rest of the game, including any improvements you got in Act 1 carry through to Act 3. And, I wish uh, I would have cool. about that. Yeah. Um, I yeah, just read it that... as, oh, this seems like a bad card. Yeah, yeah because it's, didn't very, it. it's very, very good. Um, yeah, you can, you can power it up at the, um, the, the training dummy in Act 2 in, um, in the Magnificus Tower. Um, <laughs> So that, like, you know, by the time you, you get it in part three, uh, it's like a 15-15 card with a pretty low energy cost. It's like a three um, energy cost. Yeah, three energy cost. So it, it if you know about actually, it, actually it's in, very in, in energy, it's a three, I think it's a three blood cost. It might actually be a five energy cost. Um, or yeah, a, even remember. a six. It's, it's, but the point is, by the time you get it in part three, it's real OP. <laughs> 
uh, and it's it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I was so happy I when I, I found out. That. I was so happy when I found out that the um, that it carried over from part one because I had I had gotten it killed off so often in part one that it was already like a seven seven by the time I got to part part three. So, um, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, shouts out to the uh, it's the Aurorobot, 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 yeah. I guess, because it's Aurorobos. Um, but there's uh also speaking of like super OP cards. Um, did any of y'all fight the secret boss? No, I think so. No, the the mycologist in part three. Um, there's oh, a so no, I didn't in know about that. the so the mycologist has a little hut in part two. Where if you bring him two, not two of any of the same card, just two of a specific card that he wants, he will combine them into a super card. Uh, and there are four different cards he wants, one from each of the different types of deck. Uh, and if so, if you do all four of the cards he wants and bring him doubles and let him experiment, uh, you can get a giant like holographic key. <clears throat> and if you have this holographic key, then in part three. There's a secret area, um, if you go to the, like, Eastern Botopia checkpoint, there's a diagonal arrow, um, which you navigate the map by following arrows in Part 3, um, and there, like, there are always arrows in a direction that, ex like, that are obvious, but sometimes if you mouse over the other cardinal directions, there will be, like, a secret way, and this is the only secret way that's not in one of the four cardinal directions, it's actually in a corner. And if you go down into that corner and you uh, you have the secret key and you use the secret key, you get to a room where a live-action video of the mycologist takes over P03's screen and fights you. And it, he is very difficult on, if you don't have like the right strategy um, because he plays a lot of really powerful cards on the first couple turns, which, as we've established in the energy mechanic... Uh, is tough to counter in the beginning. So if you you can do it if you have um, a couple of the like items that you can collect from around the room. If you've got there's one item that puts an exploder bot on every empty space. So if you just fill your side of the board with exploder bots to delay uh, long enough, then um, and there's also a, a button that like gives. Uh, gives all your creatures one shield so that your exploder bots won't immediately all kill each other by exploding. Um, so if you can survive the first couple rounds, you can usually do okay, and if you have, you know, good enough cards. Um, but his whole gimmick is that he splices cards together. And so in the first round, he splices his own cards together. In the second round, he starts splicing your cards together. So... Any cards you play get sucked towards the center of the deck, or the center of the board, right, to the middle space. And every round, uh, anything that was on either side of the center card just gets merged in with the center card. So your center cool. card becomes more and more powerful. And when you beat him, you get to keep whatever that center card was. Ooh, that's cool. So I had a 13-4 insta-kill... Um, two cost card, um, Good. two energy cost card. It, it had it had um, it had insta kill and shield. 
No, it didn't have insta-kill. It had exploder. It had exploder and shield. And that was my, if I draw this card, you die. Because <laughs> it does <laughs> 13 damage. So I can be on the last peg of my health. And if I can get this card to hit you, you die instantly. That's good. I like that a lot. It's also, it's also got like a secret clue for the arc, but nobody cares about the arc. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, so that was my, the, my Myco bot was like real, real strong. Nice. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like we're, we are already going long. I know Carl's got it out. We've definitely got time before that, but I feel like we could talk about the mechanics of this game for several more hours. So yes, we should talk I don't about know. the ending. Yeah. I was going to say if there's, unless there's any other standout mechanic, we could probably move on to the ending. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just wanted to shout out a couple particular cards. Yeah. We should also, oh, if we're shouting out yeah. individual cards, we should shout out the Mantis God. Um, oh, yeah. Mantis God is a only a 1-1, one, one, but it's the only card in part one that has trifurcated attack. So it attacks in front of it and the two spaces diagonally across from it. And man, if you can get Mantis card and then draw Mantis card when creating death cards, you can <laughs> get some real powerful death cards. Yep. <laughs> Um, Mantis God is also, I really, really, really struggled with the beginning of Act 2, um, just because I, I don't do well when there are, you know, A, when the game sort of throws me off balance, I don't do well with that, but just having so many new mechanics really fucked yeah. me up, because it gives you, like, the choice paralysis thing where you don't know what you're doing and nothing seems to work you know, when you try to different strategies. So I really, really, really struggled with the beginning of um, Act 2. And what finally saved me was I lucked into, like, four Mantis Gods in my deck and just rolled everything. Nice. <laughs> so, yes, absolutely shoutouts to Mantis God. I don't think I would have gotten through Act 2 without it. Yep, and Mantis God is one of the few cards that uh, Luke Carter calls out specifically in the... Uh in the like live action interstitial segments uh where he's like oh hey uh you know i'm hoping i'm opening these inscription deck cards you know like most of the cards aren't worth much but you know like a, a mint condition mantis god would still be worth like a pretty good amount <laughs> so like 80 bucks or something yeah um and uh i don't think we said that like the the creepy pasta sections there are done in the style of like found footage uh like video camera stuff but it mm -hmm. doesn't really matter yeah i don't know i i know you, you did mention like the the acting being kind of cheesy i thought he did a good job whoever that actor fine. was I, it's I mean... fine it's not it's not bad it like it's it's I would of say the premise is more cheesy than the acting yeah yeah i i think I think he really sells uh, being a YouTuber in over his head pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just yeah. the maybe it's just the premise being so cheesy that and the whole thing be, being kind of low budget that made it feel <laughs> kind of low budget yeah. more than yeah. the acting. But um, yeah, I don't know. Part of it was also like there's a scene in one of the later sections where like a you know a secret agent type person comes to his door like to threaten him from the company um like some kind of hired tough and she just looks like she's 12 like yeah. i couldn't take her seriously because she looks so young and i'm like this is the person that the company sent over to be threatening 
yeah, just like a a young. I mean, not even that young. She was probably in her. Mid, she like she's probably older than older than Luke is, maybe, but or at least yeah. around his age. But she just but, I don't know. She came across as really young. She's just and and just very normal looking, and not in a way that's like normal but there's something off about her she just looks like a normal girl that you would see walking around anywhere anywhere yeah yeah so, so. she's not very threatening yeah um yeah but, but anyway. yeah shout outs to that that guy he did a good job i think um. yeah <laughs> so let, let's talk about the ending because i kind of really do there's some stuff about the the very ending that i really do appreciate um so in the end, the other three, um, the other three scribes, team up to stop P zero three and like destroy him before uh, he can he can upload the cursed game. And uh, unbeknownst to the others, uh, Grimora has also decided that the game itself should be deleted. So she initiates a full delete of the. Um, of the system. And so you, once again, like, you go through all of the other bosses besides P03 in first-person mode, and you kind of, like, play a little bit of a round with them and talk to them. Um, Leshy's you already know, um, and it's... He lets you play with the deck you had from part one, which feels kind of comforting because, you know, it's the deck you beat him with, so it's probably OP. And you get to just, like, have fun completely ruining him. Um, but I really appreciated they actually bothered to, like, make first-person mechanics for the other two. Like, design what their first-person game would have looked like for the other yeah. two bosses. For just this ending sequence. Like, mm -hmm. only for this ending sequence. And, I, like, granted, it's easier to do it for just the end sequence because you don't have to make sure it's like balanced across significant amount yeah. of gameplay but they were they all felt cool and distinct and like they belonged to that character like mm -hmm. grimora's is a chessboard where you're like moving a piece around the chessboard and her pieces are moving and you can like get to special like i you know areas of the chessboard where you can like open chests um, and then you can also, like, if you run into one of her pieces, it starts a battle. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> fucking, fucking Magnificus <laughs> is just playing Yu-Gi-Oh. It's just yeah, you, fucking Yu-Gi-Oh. The, the, like, the dual arm deck thing that, yeah. like, straps the to your arm disc. and spits cards. Yeah, the dual disc. <laughs> yeah, it's, you get a giant dual disc so strapped to your arm, you're, like, standing on a pillar overlooking a pit where the monsters, like, actually come out of the cards and manifest as 3D holograms and fight each other. It's like, this is just fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! You're just playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. And that was so funny. It's like, that, that being that funny is not appropriate for the tone of the end of the game but it's very funny <laughs> so it's very funny yeah it's you know the the ending really does drag on because you know you, you're you're at the end and yet uh you have to go through all of this shit and i, I don't think you can lose those sections um oh. as far as i know um it, it really really drags but i do appreciate so much just 
the the thought and care that went into designing those segments even if like you said kyla they you know they're not full games they don't have to be balanced at all but it's cool that the effort was put in yeah that the thought went into okay if this if this character had their own first person game with their own mechanics thematically what would it look like and like i appreciate that kind of world building and it yeah, yeah. it does drag on a little long but it you know you're saying goodbye to everybody you like get to shake their hands you watch the files being gradually deleted and um i don't know i found that i found the 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 final sequence to be like the best part of probably the last half of the game yeah it's it's very cool um you know, I don't want to. I don't want to rag too hard on it for being really long, but mm-hmm. you know, that's just a that's just me. I have a short attention span. Um, but yes, it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's probably how long it is is sort of dependent on how you play. Because once I think if you do well enough that you're gonna win, then certain elements just start disappearing from <laughs> the board, and it just moves the story along. So. Um, it's yeah, and then and then there's a last like so when you delete all of the game, all that's left is something called the old data, and you get a warning that like there's something bad in the old data. You shouldn't read the old data. Like don't do it. But we know you're gonna do it anyway. Um, and I don't think you have an option to not look at the old data, as far as I know, other than just like quitting the game. Um, but when you look at the old data, uh. You get the, like, actual ending sequence, which is one more of those, like, found footage things, which involves the person from the, coming, from the company coming back and just shooting Luke and killing him. Yeah. Which, like, is fucked up. <laughs> and doesn't yeah. really feel like... so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that apart from the, the ARG stuff, there's going to be more game um god i forgot what i was gonna say damn it <laughs> yeah come back to me i'll, I'll maybe uh, i'll remember um. yeah no i i was kind of like invested in in luke's story at that point and i was like that felt like such a just abrupt and unsatisfying ending i was like really that's all right it's like it's not even like he you know like runs off and he's hunted and it's like open-ended or anything no he just you just killed him yeah he doesn't even he doesn't even get a chance to like struggle or put up a fight he just opens the door and gets shot and is dead um yeah i i did remember the thing i was gonna say and the thing i was gonna say is that you know i i did end up you know reading about the the underlying story that is kind of hinted at um and I don't know how much of this is um, conjectural and how much of it is actually, you know, I guess canon per per the ARG, but it's stuff like uh, the old data is like code that allows the game to alter the world. And I think I think at some point it's mentioned that like Hitler had the code um, and that's why Hitler was such a bad dude. And like, what? like that's where it really veers off into just dumb creepy pasta stuff and you know e- even without the unfortunate payoff of the you know the actual game like that being the backstory is so stupid that it just doesn't feel like it's even worth it 
yeah, I didn't, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get to that part. I didn't read about that. Um, but I, I did sort of skim over the like ARG stuff, and it seems like it was a lot about like Casey, who was the original person who programmed the inscription game, and like her work with the the company Game Funa. And, like, how she died under mysterious circumstances and, like, other, there was maybe some conspiracy going on at the company and there's, like, other stuff with other employees who died and I I don't know. I didn't read into it too much because I'm like, listen, if they get to the point in this arg where it unlocks there is another different ending or, like, epilogue to the game, I will play the stuff that is in the actual game. I am not going to go digging through web files for you know for for secret codes that i can like enter during um you know some sequence in order to get a clue to another thing that's like an obscure email written like all right you guys you guys figure that part out and let me know when you're done i think there is a secret ending that is that was unearthed like in the form of a youtube like a you know an unlisted youtube video that people were able to find their way to um, but I don't, I haven't watched it. Um, I, I read one article, so I didn't, I didn't do a lot of research about, you know, what is the underlying narrative of the ARG. Uh, I did just read one article, but that was mentioned as well. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll maybe have to look for that. We'll see. Um, yeah. but yeah. 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 So I guess, you know, our basic summary is, man, really fantastic first third. And then yeah. like the other stuff is fine, but it doesn't live up to the promise of the beginning of the game. He's released first act as a standalone game. I think that they did. Um, it's called Casey's Mod, um, and it's it apparently turns the first part into just a genuine roguelike that you can play forever. Wait, wait, wait. This sounds really nice. I, I think that's what I read uh, about what Casey's Mod is. Which is their their most recent like thing they released? Um, let's see, Casey's mod patch notes for the it's a it's in beta at the moment. Um, uh, um, some mini expansion. <clears throat> I received countless requests for an endlessly playable version of Part One that emphasizes Leshy's deck building roguelike as a standalone experience. That's what Casey's mod is, and a little more. Uh, Casey's Mod is a free mini-expansion for inscription that hacks Leshy's cabin into an endless and increasingly challenging roguelike. Apply different skulls to your run to ascend the challenge levels. Reaching new levels unlocks new cards, challenges, and devlogs inscribed by the late Casey Hobbs as she uncovered secrets on the disc. Yeah, so if you want just part one as a standalone game, just install Casey's Mod. Cool. Problem yeah. solved. <laughs> this, this might make me... I mean, I might... I didn't really plan on um Revisiting. actually finishing the game but i i would i would consider playing some of this yeah yeah just as like like a, i i feel like there are a lot of times in my life where it's like ah, i want to play a game but i don't know what i want to play i'm not in the mood for anything and this seems like it would fit the bill for that sort of a mood yeah that's fair uh and especially if the death card mechanic maintains and i get to keep like making cool op cards yeah like, <laughs> that would be fun. I'm. I'd be fun. I'd be fine doing like ascending challenge with increasingly ludicrous cards. Um. But yeah. So, I guess like I feel like this is very much a your mileage will vary game because I'm sure some people like 
get really into the meta stuff and some people love when games have args attached and um you know they like exploring a wide variety of like fiddly different mechanics and um you know there's there is a lot of stuff in here and so if it's stuff that you like then great <laughs> uh it's just that the the first third is a very polished standalone game um and it's it's jarring when the rest of the game is not that i i yeah it, it sort of comes down to what i said a while ago is that it's a it's there there's so much in this game that is really well thought out that is very well crafted but there is kind of just too much game in the game <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and that muddies it um that yeah. muddies the overall experience for me yeah i keep i keep remembering this uh description that um <clears throat> the yahtzee of zero punctuation reviews gave when he was talking about portal 2 um where he was talking about he described it as like portal 1 was like a um like a carton of like three perfectly beautifully ripe cherry delicious cherries and portal 2 is like a carton of six beautifully ripe perfect delicious cherries and a handful of sawdust right like or like and a handful of wood shavings um where it's like it's not that the cherries aren't still there and still good it's just that you didn't need all of this other stuff like that's it was it was better without it yeah that's a very good analogy and i don't know if i agree with that about portal 2 but it does feel that way about this game so I don't know. I guess that's it. Any other final thoughts on Inscription? No, I think yeah. I feel like Inscription is like if it sounds like something you'd enjoy. If it's if it's got the elements that you're into, roguelikes, deck builders, things like that. Um, definitely play it. And even if those are not your deal, because none of those things are my deal. Um, but even <laughs> if those things are not your deal, I think it's still worth buying. At some point, like you know, pick it up on sale, whatever. Um, it's yeah, I think it's definitely worth playing, despite all of our gripes about it. Yeah, and and, and we cannot emphasize as much how good that first part is. Yeah, like y you can buy the game and then just play Casey's mod apparently, and uh, you'll probably have a better experience than what we had. But eh. yep. Yeah, if yeah. if you want to play just the like really well executed first third, play Casey's mod. So there you go. All right. Uh, no good segue for the next game. So Carl, just go for it. Yeah. yeah next game we're gonna be playing is Solar Ash by Heart Machine, published by Annapurna again. Annapurna. And I don't know, like, I can only describe it as action-adventure. Whatever yeah, that it means. Has, it has, it doesn't look exactly the same as, so for anyone who doesn't remember, Heart Machine made Hyperlight Drifter. Um, Hyperlight Drifter they technically made while my friend Teddy was working there, but they're not working there anymore, so it's Heart Machine minus Teddy, which is fine. Um, but hi, it has... It doesn't look like Hyperlight Drifter, but it has the same, like, it's very visually distinct in the way that Hyperlight Drifter was very visually distinct. 
Um, and I don't know. I, you know, I like Hyperlight Drifter, uh, so I, I trust Heart Machine to make something that feels good because that game felt good. Um, we'll see. Hopefully it's not quite as hard as Hyperlight Drifter was, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I've, I've watched a little bit of gameplay of it, and it seems... I don't know. It seems like a game that is designed to get you and, you know, reward you for getting into sort of a flow state, if that makes any sense. That's sort of what the gameplay looks like to me. But I have not played it yet, so who knows? I might be completely wrong. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah. So Solar Ash is the game. And this is and... this like a is is Solar Ash like a super recent review or re release? Yes. Rather? Yeah, yes. it's very it's new. December. Um, it's okay. it's it's on the expensive side. We try not to do too many like really expensive games um, on this channel, but um, I don't know. I'm excited about this one, so yeah, I, I want to play it. I agree. So yeah, um, um, so we're gonna you know play that over the holidays and come back in the new year to talk about it. Um, and if you want to contact us about coming onto the podcast to talk about it. Uh, or just in general, contact us. Uh, we have contact information. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at FeedbackForce. Um, on the Twitter, you can also find the links to our Discord. You can join the Discord, hang out. Um, if you want to be on an episode, that's the way to do it. And even if you don't want to be on an episode, you can absolutely come hang out in the Discord. Um, talk about the games, talk about whatever you want. Um, and apart yeah, recommend that, us find... recommend us new games. If you're like, oh my god, I know the perfect game for you three that like you absolutely have to talk about because you are going to spend the entire hour like fighting about it. Like, tell <laughs> us, we want to know. Yeah, yeah. If you have a game that you feel really, really strongly about and you want to suggest it to us, just so you can talk about it with us, that's also cool. Do yeah, I, yeah. We should start calling this out more. Suggest games for us if you feel really strongly about them. That's a good. That's a good call, because a lot of times before we record, we end up uh, having really, really long conversations where neither of us wants to commit to picking a game, um, and yep. we we end up n not arguing about what the next game. Sh it's housekeeping can be uh it's housekeeping sometimes it's yep. a chore but um yep. and yep. we are all indecisive um yeah pretty so much yeah. the only requirements are that it has to be something that like we can all get preferably you know at least on pc and it has to be short enough that we can play it in two weeks yeah um yeah so find us on twitter at feedback force get in the discord come talk suggest us games uh yell at us endlessly to play the game that you want us to play uh within reason or you know <laughs> if you if you're an indie game dev and you want us to play your game just because you want people to play your game we could probably do that yeah we could probably we could probably do that too yeah um and and you get to come on the podcast and and um chill talk about game. it it's yeah. a win-win absolutely uh yeah so do all those things and also less important you can find me on twitter at kelso time bomb yep. where i guess uh, i'll just be tweeting about mops for the rest of the foreseeable <laughs> future i don't know yeah. yeah all other kinds of household accoutrement um you can find me on twitter uh at kyla underscore go 
Uh, you can find my game, Wintermore Tactics Club, on Twitter at WintermoreTC, uh, or available on Steam, uh, Xbox One, PS4, and Switch. And you can find me on Twitter at Skug3, but I won't be tweeting about mops. So why even bother, shame. really? Yeah, <laughs> that's a shame. It's a damn shame. Uh, um, yeah, that's that's been the episode. It occurs to me that, like, I guess the PS5 is backwards compatible. Is that true? Or at least backwards well, compatible for, like, digital stuff? Because um, yeah, it's possible you can yeah. play Wintermore on PS5 as well. I'm going to have to test that out. I'm not sure PS5. if it's backwards <laughs> compatible or if it's just certain games. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, worth looking but into hey, if you if you buy Wintermore uh, Tactics Club on PS5 and try it out, let us know uh, if it works or not. Uh, anyway, thanks for joining mm -hmm. us, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in the new year. Yeah, have a safe and enjoyable holiday season. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.